Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you, big book study. My name is Elaine B., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Today is Friday, September 1st, 2017. Today, we're reading from the big book, and we're at page 91, the first paragraph beginning with usually the family should not try, through three paragraphs ending with get him to tell some of his, commenting on all three paragraphs. Today's readers are Sally A. for the 12 steps, Tala K. for the 12 traditions, Stephanie L., Jody E.Q., and Christine M. The reference number for the 10 a.m. meeting yesterday, August 31st, is 10371, 10,371. And the reference number for this morning's 7 a.m. meeting Friday, September 1st, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, is 10373, that's 10,373. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We're self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sally A. to read the 12 steps. Thank you, Elaine. The 12 steps. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Step 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you so much for letting me do service, and I pass. Thank you, Sally A. I will now ask Tala Kay to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Tala. May I be heard? Yes. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous 
except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And I pass. Thank you, Talakay. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the Big Book on page 91. We'll read three paragraphs, starting with the first paragraph. Usually, the family should not try. Through the end of the third paragraph, get him to tell some of his. We'll be commenting on all three paragraphs. And I'll ask Stephanie L. to begin reading. Good morning, everyone. This is Stephanie L., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Southern California. Usually, the family should not try to tell your story. When possible, avoid meeting a man through his family. Approach through a doctor or an institution is a better bet. If your man needs hospitalization, he should have it, but not forcibly unless he is violent. Let the doctor, if he will, tell him he has something in the way of a solution. When your man is better, the doctor might suggest a visit from you. Though you have talked with the family, leave them out of the first discussion. Under these conditions, your prospect will see he is under no pressure. He will feel he can deal with you without being nagged by his family. Call on him while he is still jittery. He may be more receptive when depressed. See your man alone if possible. At first, engage in general conversation. After a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. You will thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. If he is not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. If he is in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you, being careful not to moralize or lecture. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Get him to tell some of his. And, you know, if uh, my family had pushed me to go to Overeaters Anonymous for, you know, because I was 250 pounds, I would have never gotten here. (laughs) You know, I really identify um, with that first paragraph where it says, when possible, avoid meeting a man through his family. You know, that frothy emotional appeal, you know, Um, Men don't want women who are fat. Um, You just have to try harder. It's just more willpower. I I am so glad that um, 
you know, the thought uh, or um, the awareness of Overeaters Anonymous didn't come from my family because I would never have made it here. Um, and I also thought, you know, when it says approach through a doctor or institution is a better bet, um, you know, that's a little tougher for us in OA. Um, we don't necessarily you know, do um, panels in um, jails or anything like that. But, you know, I have seen where we have done panels for bariatric patients um, before having surgery. And so that might, be a, uh, that might be an idea there as well. It's really the last paragraph um, that, you know, I really um, identified with. And, um, you know, when we approach the newcomer or the person who is struggling, um, you know, it's so important, you know, again, I think about me and I think about coming out of relapse or when I was a newcomer to OA, if someone had preached to me or told me, you know, you have to do this, this and this, I don't know if I would have stuck around, you know, preaching from a moral high ground and, you know, um, that would, that, I would have bristled um, at that. You know, my experience with newcomers is, you know, like it says in this paragraph, um, you know, we share a little bit to get the, the new person um, talking and feeling comfortable sharing what's going on with them. Um, and we share just enough so that they identify, that we give them a little bit of hope. And enough, you know, like me, when my sponsor told me about her experience in relapse, you know, it was, oh, my gosh, you know, how did you do it? What did you do? You know, um, my interest was piqued. Um, I wanted to know you know, what the solution she had found was. Um, so, um, you know, it says here also being careful not to moralize or lecture. Um, again, you know, um, when I was um, depressed and hopeless, if someone would have, um, you know, preached to me or, um, you know, lectured to me, well, you're not doing this or you need to do this, I... I didn't need that. I needed someone to listen. I needed someone I could identify with, and I needed someone who could offer me a solution based on their own personal experience, strength, and hope. And, you know, the last part here, if his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Man, does it feel good when, you know, we can share, I can share, and laugh with someone else about the crazy things I've done with food, or, you know, look back and you know, not just identify, but connect and, and laugh together about, you know, what that looked like. Um, so, yeah, I'm so grateful for the woman who shared with me and, um, you know, what an honor it is to give back. So with that, I will pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Stephanie L. Who else would like to comment? Who would like to comment on what Stephanie read today? Julie R. Um, somebody see, is it necessary? Julie R. Oh, Melissa C. Melissa C. Julie R. Anybody else? Jody EQ. Jody EQ. And who is the other? Sally. Sally A. Yep. Anybody else? Charles D. Charles D. One more. Okay. Well, let's start with you guys. Thanks so much. I believe it was Ginger C that uh, that had spoken up. So I've got Julie R, Ginger C, Jody E Q, Sally A, and Charles D. Please go ahead, Julie. Hi, thank you. This is Julie R, recovered compulsive overeater in California. You know, the first paragraph you know talks about um, you know approach through a doctor or institution. You know, so it's a little harder with us compulsive overeaters. But you know, my doctor has my name, and and before. Um, Oops, somebody's trying to mute her on you. But before a doctor, uh, before a patient wants to get surgery, she'll give them my phone number so that I could talk to them. And, you know, if you come down to the third paragraph, it says that, you know, we don't moralize our lecture. So what I talk, when I talk to that person who's ready to have surgery, I, I, I get them to identify with me, right, what I did, how I thought, how I felt, how, how I acted, uh, you know, not able to fit in the airplane seat. Uh, being the fattest mom, football mom, you know, waddling, unable to paint my toenails, you know, being a tight 26, um, you know, 300 pounds, 5'2", blah, blah, blah. I don't, I don't have to lecture. I just got to get them to say, wow, yeah, I do that with food. I think like that. I have that shame, guilt, remorse, and I have that cycle. And, you know, Bill's first six months, 
the only person he that he kept sober was himself, you know. And Dr. Silkworth talked to him and said, hey, you might want to change your approach because he was lecturing people. He was like being somewhat of an, not evangelist, but he was saying, hey, you've got to do this, blah, blah, blah. Dr. Bob, he sat and he talked with them. Dr. Bob got to identify with him. And that 15-minute conversation went on for hours, and then the next day he came back. That's what we do. You know, I don't have to sit there and tell somebody, you got to do what I do. I just got to let them see that I am just like them. The, the difference is I'm living in the solution now. So I'm just so glad that, you know, when I was in the depths of my relapse, I mean, food wrappers everywhere. I've, I've shared this before. I had eaten over 10,000, 15,000 calories in a couple of hours, and I got a phone call from somebody saying, Julie, what has always worked? And um, that was almost three years ago. And I have not picked up anything, but the, I haven't wanted to pick it up. And she called. She didn't lecture me. Oh, you know why you stopped doing this? You got in a relapse. She said, I love you. What works? Let me help you. So if you're new out there, you know what? Call one of us. Help, let us help you get on that road to uh, the solution. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks so much, Julie R. Ginger C., you're up next, followed by Jody E.Q. Hi, good morning, everyone, and especially a welcome to the newcomer on the line. My name is Ginger C., recovered in Colorado. And I love um, this third paragraph. You know, it just reminds me on page 29 what we're after here, and we want our newcomer to say, yes, I am one of them too, and I must have this thing. And in that third paragraph, um, it's sort of like repeating. You know, at the beginning it tells us, Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. And then at the bottom it says, if he is not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit. And like someone just mentioned, you know, we're not here at this point with the newcomer talking about the solution. And I'll never forget, you know, when this book started coming alive in my heart, you know, we are reborn after the third step. Something starts happening for us. And it's just by following these clear-cut directions, line by line, with a sponsor who's recovered, who has gone through these 12 steps. But you get excited. You want people to get recovered and to have this experience, too. And again, what's most important with the newcomer is that they identify in. You know, when my sponsor talked about sugar as heroin, I knew he knew what I was feeling inside. I didn't even have to go through my story. But that's what's most important at the beginning. It's just that they know you know. And then once they get that identification in, then we get to start to bring them the information which is just, again, following this book precisely as it's outlined, and you will get exactly what those first 100 get. You will be recovered, and food will no longer be a problem. And that's phenomenal. So with that, I pass. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ginger C. Jody Q., you're up next, followed by Sally A. Thank you so much, Elaine. Thank you, everybody, for being here. This is Jody E.Q., Gratefully Recovered calling in from Richmond, Virginia. Well, this is, this is a different era from what we have today. Today we have meetings, both face-to-face and online and on this telephone. And the meeting, this particular meeting, does this job so well of giving people who are new, who are in the disease, um, examples of people who have recovered and they can hear something in our voices perhaps that's different they can hear our stories that we have recovered just the fact that we can say we are recovered is is uh, a testimony to the power of these 12 steps so we don't necessarily have to go looking uh, today in hospitals and institutions for compulsive overeaters, although we can, we can do that. Um, but people come to us today, and um, I, I've had people call me and say, uh, would you please sponsor me? There's something 
about you that that is what is what I'm looking for. And that's thanks to again this uh, technology that we have today and the infrastructure that we have today that was unlike what they had back in the 30s. Um, still, though, it is useful for me to tell my story to my sponsees and let them know what it was like for me so that they know more about how I recovered, what it was like, how I've changed, and what happened. And then I just take them through this book, and I let the book be the authority. I don't have to be, I don't have to know it all. I don't have to um, be like a guru. No, I'm just one more compulsive overeater who has used this book, who has worked these 12 steps and is working these 12 steps to the best of her ability. And together we can uh, do what we could not do alone. So if you're new, grab on to somebody that is a sponsor who is recovered and go through these steps and then you too can take someone's hand and lead them through it as it is uh, explained in this book. It's really very simple. It's just not easy, but it is simple. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Jody E.Q. Sally A., you're up next, followed by Charles D. Thank you, Elaine. This is Sally A. I'm a food addict in the process of recovering again. And um, what I wanted to say about this page, I think there's a lot here that's um, very important information. But to begin with, it talks about over and over about the family, usually the family. Um, And over and over, we see these words about the family. But to me, um, because I moved to New York and I live next to my family, I'm very close to them at this point. And um, that was intentional because I was really keeping a distance from my children. They, I felt, and I have known for a long time that they present a lot of triggers for me. Um, so I kept a distance. But now that I'm here and I'm learning so much about me and about them, this sentence here, though you have talked with the family, leave them out of the first discussion. Under these conditions, your prospect will see he is under no pressure. And so for the first time, my grown-up children are beginning to really understand that I have an eating disorder, that it's not just about losing weight or gaining weight or Weight Watchers or Jenny Craig. All of these things my kids have in the past pressured me to do. They talked with me at at length, ad nauseum, about why don't you take the time you spend in OA and spend it at the club working out, calories in, Uh, you know, working out being the opposite. And my kids just never really grasped, despite the fact that I've been in OA since they were uh, not even born, my youngest daughter, um, but my oldest daughter, who's 36. um, I've been in OA for 34 years. So she grew up with me in OA, but never really grasped what this is about. And for the very first time in the last few weeks, my children are actually saying, wow, mom, I had no idea. And they're actually beginning to understand. So when I read these paragraphs about family, I realize that most times families just don't get it. They are just, if you're not a food addict, you don't get this. It's it's just foreign. It's an absolutely a foreign language. But then in the bottom of the page, it talks about the importance of connecting yes identifying but it uses the word if if he is not communicative if he is in a serious mood if 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 all over that bottom paragraph and what they're saying to me is that it's a condition what's their condition try to figure out what their condition is before you leap in and just start pounding them with this book or this information because it's just not going to get you anywhere And this is my favorite slogan lately. It's take my advice, I'm not using it. Um, And because that's where I am today. Take my advice because I haven't been using it. Um, I really believe that. Yes, thank you. Um, Let me just close with this. I really believe that what we really have is not an eating disorder. We have a thinking disorder. 
Um, and we are trapped in our brains, and what we have to do is get out of ourselves and connect to other people and connect to our higher power, and therein lies the healing. Thank you so much for letting me share that I pass. Thank you, Sally A. Charles D., please go ahead. Star one to unmute, please, Charles. This is uh, Charles D., recovered uh, compulsive overeater from Oregon. Well, I have to go back to when I first uh, got exposed to the 12-step programs and how I feel, how I felt. Um, the, I, I was uh, very hesitant. I didn't know anything. And so I um, was looking for um, things that might go wrong or that I feel like I would be uncomfortable with. So just to be there amongst a, a group of people who I felt uh, comfortable with, um, I, I really felt like there was not any pressure on me, that they, they accepted me as I was, and that's, that's what really made me comfortable. And then when I heard them share their stories, of course, that really helped me understand that I was in the right place and uh, that we were, I was one, one of, of them. And so I really appreciate the, the um, just sharing, people sharing honestly about what they're doing. And then if I, if I was, uh, I was given a chance to express what, what uh, my recovery, or what my disease was uh, doing uh, um, for me. And so um we I was encouraged to talk and uh and then afterwards uh people really wanted to know more about me so I I felt like if they're willing to listen to me that's that's something that's really positive and I I never felt like there was a um they were closing doors around me that I I could always see a way out that I didn't feel like I was being cornered so I really agree that um it's really getting to know these people and to uh, let them know that we're there for them and also know that, let them know that uh, we understand um, where they're coming from because of our own experience. And most of all, that uh, we have found a solution. And uh, that's, that's wonderful to think that um, uh, uh, that person might see that maybe there's a solution there for me too. Thank you very much. I pass. Thank you, Charles D. Great share so far today. This is Elaine B., your moderator, and today we're studying in the big book on page 91. We're reading three paragraphs, beginning with the first paragraph. Usually the family should not try through till get him to tell him, um, get him to tell some of his. And so who'd like to comment on this paragraph today? Charles H. Carrie Charles K. H. Carrie K. Sherry KB. Sherry KB. Karen T. Karen T. Hi, Karen. BB. I'm sorry, I missed the last one. CBB. CBB. One or two more? Well, why don't we go with this for now? So I've got Charles John. H. Oops, John K. <laughs> Boy, I didn't even have to say the whole name. Cool. <laughs> Highly recognizable voice. Um, so uh, Charles H., Carrie K., Sherry K.B., Karen T., E.V.B., and John K. Thank you so much. Charles H., please go ahead. Thank you, Elaine, for your service. Charles H., a recovered composer over here. Um, yeah, th- this is... These instructions are really good. Um, and, of course, the 62 ifs that, you know, there's a few of them in these, these paragraphs here. Um, and I like to drill down where it says, uh, be careful not to moralize or lecture. Um, if his mood is light, let him, let him humorous, uh, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. It's humorous, but... When, I'm gonna keep it real. When it was happening, it wasn't too. It wasn't too funny <laughs> when it was happening. But I could laugh about some of them now, and I could even laugh about some issues that are going on still. 
in this recovered state because, see, I turn into a punk. I don't know about y'all people. I don't know about y'all perfect people, but I turn into a pumpkin before 1201 during the day. You know, if I don't pause, um, if I, you know, all throughout the day, every single day. And um, eating <laughs> can be an option. I'm not, you know, even Superman, <laughs> I said that yesterday, even Superman got to stay away from kryptonite. And kryptonite may not be substances, but the kryptonite is my thinking. The kryptonite is, is me because I'm addicted to me. And, and, it's, and why is it going that way? Why is it going this way? No, we have a way out, right, that can reset me back to zero. Back to manufactory, you know, um, you know what I'm trying to say. But, but like, you know, tell them, be real. Don't be trying to act like, you know, you all that because, Charles, you ain't all that. <laughs> you, you just have a, you just try to follow a program that is all that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't do this uh, very well. Um, I don't answer the questions on page 86 every night. Sometimes I do it uh, the next day. Because I'm human, <laughs> and I could have done I could have done a lot of things better. But in these paragraphs, it, it, it's it's telling me don't lecture to this person because you're gonna you're gonna lose this person. A lot of people are not ready. When I wasn't ready, I wasn't ready either. And and willingness, we hear this on the line all the time. I wasn't. I'm not willing to work today. But but I want that paycheck next Wednesday, so I work. <laughs> Same thing with recovery. Um, some days I'm not willing to do this program of action, but I want the result. So, like my friend always tells me, don't get mad for the results you ain't willing to do. So I mean, willing to work on. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Charles H. Carrie K, you're up next, followed by Sherry K B. Thank you so much. This is Carrie Kay in Colorado. And initially when I was listening to these these words, I thought, well, there's nothing here that, that resonates with me. But as people were sharing and as I was listening, it occurred to me that this very much applies to me. Um, I didn't need lectures from anyone because I already knew I had a problem with my weight. And I already knew I had a problem with my food. I'm an emotional eater, whether that emotion is happiness, sadness, anger, or somewhere in between, I can always solve the problem with food. I already knew that. What I didn't know was how to deal with it. And I, like many others, tried all the other programs out there, and they worked for many people, and they worked for me for a short time. But then ultimately, I always returned to the food. And I still remember my first day walking into OA, feeling so discouraged and depressed and lost and thinking, this, this is it. This is my last resort. And hearing other people share what I had been doing, hearing other people say that they solved their problems with food and recognizing that I wasn't the only one. I wasn't the only person who ate when they were feeling things. I wasn't the only person who seemed lost in the food, that there were other people out there just like me. That, that was the breakthrough for me. That's the key to the entire program for me, is recognizing that I'm not alone, that other people have this exact same struggle, and more importantly, that other people have been, over, have been able to overcome this, these challenges. And I, I said, whatever it is, I need to overcome it too. And so for me, listening to other people who knew what they were talking about and who knew what I was going through is everything, especially for a newcomer. Just having that support and understanding and knowledge, I just can't even explain how much it meant to me at the time. And with that, I pass. Thank you very much, Carrie K. Sherry KB, you're up next, followed by Karen T. Good morning, Elaine. Good morning, everybody. This is Sherry KB in Northern California, grateful, recovered, compulsive reader. Thank you so much for your service and everybody on the line. So the first paragraph to me is like it's a remember uh, to never forget because when I was a kid growing up, 
Um, my parents put me on a diet at nine years old, <clears throat> even though I didn't need to be on one. And it definitely um, kicked in my um, my behaviors from then on out. And also, I didn't know at the time that I was born a compulsive overeater. And they just contributed to my disease. They didn't realize they were contributing to it. I think if they knew I was really a true compulsive overeater, they wouldn't have. So I have a lot of sensitivity about doctors and people talking to me about you know all of that. So I really try to remember that when I'm talking to another compulsive reader, and also if they are a compulsive reader, because um, it's not up to me to identify them as a compulsive reader. It's up to them or a food addict, whatever you want to call yourself. So I, I, I'm very sensitive to that and very respectful, but I also believe it's based on attraction rather than promotion. And I don't want to put anybody under pressure. I just want to be an example. Um, and depending on the situation that I'm in, uh, it reminds me always that my uh, my health is to, to only my only aim is to be helpful and to not preach from a mountaintop or be an evangelist, but also just talk about depth and weight, the fact of what happened to me, what it was like. Um, I remember being in a meeting and just talking about how the first time in many years I didn't realize that it wasn't my fault that I actually had a disease, uh, you know, a twofold illness and. You know, after saying that remark, a lot of people came up to me and started talking to me about that and asking me about it. And that's how, you know, we got into talking about it and then them asking me questions. And I really believe, you know, it's really important to identify in, to be that example and not to try to shove it down somebody's throat because, you know, they say that, you know, we're allergic to two things, flour, well, for me, flour and sugar and being told what to do. Um, so I don't believe in telling somebody what to do. If they keep asking me, then I am there for them. And I just think it's so important to identify in and to um, especially have my higher power guide me through when I'm talking to someone and telling them about what I do um, because I really believe if my higher power speaks through me, um, it, they they will be reached. And um and also just sharing my stories of, of humor, of things that I've done, if, if they're in a funny mood, you know, a light mood or um, serious mood, and they're dwelling on their troubles, I tell them about the stuff that I had done. Um, and it's just a, a way of, I think I just kind of feel out what the person's like and, and go from there, and I, I identify in with them is what I do. It's so important with that I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sherry KB. Karen T., you're up next followed by EVB. Hello, Lane. Can you hear me? I can hear you, Karen. Thanks. Great. Hi, this is Karen T., recovered in Louisiana. And um, I really searched in my history for stories that were funny and light, you know, so I could match the mood of the newcomer. And it's hard. I can't find too many funny and light I can't remember the exact words, but you know, I, I it's it's they're all they're tragic in there too. Um uh so I have a couple but I don't really like them. <laughs> but so that's been a challenge for me. But I feel like uh if we want to follow the what this book says that maybe we should find some of those so that we can um be the most effective twelfth stepper that we can be. So I'm still working on that and um, I think I need to pray about it some more. That just came to me. Thank you, God. Um, And then this idea of not chasing people uh, when they're newcomers. Um, My roommate went into OA when we were in college and she did not push me into OA at all. one day we were going to a party and we exchanged dresses because hers was too big for her because she was in OA and losing weight and mine was too small for me because I had gained weight. So I had this photograph of us in each other's dresses um, and uh, that was painful for me to switch dresses with her but she didn't say anything. And... um, that was a miracle, you know, that helped me. And then one day she needed a ride to a meeting, and somehow I figured that out. I was really interested in OA by this point. And so uh, I went to my first OA meeting because my roommate needed a ride. 
And that is how I got to my first meeting. So the fact that she did not push me, I think, was very helpful um, for me. And um, then finally, um, I let her know I wanted in, and she was all happy, and we, you know, it was a wonderful thing. But she gave me my space. And so these paragraphs are reminding me that that's what I get to do to newcomers and acquaintances of mine. So thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thanks so much, Karen T. Evie B., you're up next, followed by John K. Hi, this is Phoebe B. Oh, Phoebe. That's okay. (laughs) That's all right. Abstinent food addict in very chilly Vermont. Um, What I've gotten out of the comments that I've heard today, uh, and it's very rare I can be on this meeting live, so I'm very grateful for that. What I've heard today are a whole bunch of things that really strike me. One is that um, when we're talking to a newcomer and when people talk to me as a newcomer, the thing that makes my heart swell is the immediate acceptance that I felt and that I feel now is my service to others is to express that immediate acceptance and identification that we have a disease, we share a disease, and it's a killer disease. And do I say a sketch of some of my eating things? Yes, I do. And I heard a story on a meeting um, this week uh, that I just loved because I remembered it. I mean, I could have identification with this, and this person called it the replacement batch, you know, where you make a batch of cookies or a batch of cookie dough, and um, you end up eating the whole thing, and you go out to – you go out to replace it um, and then eat just enough so that it looks like it's still the same that it was. How many times did I do that? I get to share that now with a newcomer that, yeah, I did those things. I did crazy things. And sometimes there's, there is humor in it because, as it says in the big book, we're not a glum lot. And a fellow on this line reminded me once that um, it's really important to bring humor into it. Uh, and the big book reminds us of that just now. And then there's a line here that says he may be more receptive when depressed. Well, I think the depressed part is that we feel very vulnerable um, when we first start out in this program, whether we announce ourselves as a newcomer or call someone that sounded interesting to us on the line, whatever it might be. And when someone calls me or I call someone and they pick up the phone, I share with them that the first thing is their willingness. Either they picked up the phone to call me or they picked up the phone to answer my call. And that's the very first part and a movement towards, um, a forward movement towards the solution because you can't move towards the solution until you have willingness. And I share that with them. And I say, you know, you're willing by doing those things. Um, And that's the beginning. It is so hard to pick up the phone, so hard to approach someone after a meeting when you're so vulnerable. And yet you might be most receptive, as the big book says right here in that line, um, he may be more receptive when depressed. And uh, accepting that vulnerability and identifying with it is what helped me as a newcomer. And um, the solution comes slowly, and the beginning is with willing. Yep. And um, with that, I'll pass. Well, thanks so much, Phoebe B. And John K. Please go ahead. Good morning. This is John Kiernan, recovered compulsive overeater in Los Angeles, uh, hot Los Angeles. Um, You know, one of my favorite little pieces of reading, and I bring it to people's attention whenever I, you know, doing something uh, where I'm communicating is, is actually a piece of AA literature, which is, of course, approved OA literature because everything in AA is, and it's not pamphlet. A lot of people have never read. Uh, it's called The Member's Eye View to Alcoholics Anonymous, and all it really is is a restatement of everything we know, but put in terms that are a little more modern than, than that. And he, he delivered this, this was a talk to a mental health professional. I just want to read this because it's, it was so important. He said, he said, long before the average alcoholic walks through the doors of his first meeting, he sought help from others or had help offered to him, you know, and sometimes forced upon him. And these helpers were always superior beings. 
spouses, parents, physicians, employers, priests, ministers, rabbis. Uh, and it says the moral culpability of the alcoholic and the moral superiority of the helper, even though unstated, was always clearly understood. The overtone of parental disapproval and discipline in these authority figures is always present. So for the first time 35 years ago at the time, an alcoholic suddenly heard a different drummer. Instead of that constant and menacing rat-tat-tat of this is what you should do, he heard the instantly recognizable voice saying, this is what I did. And man, that is just what it was for me. If anybody could told me, I would run, you know. And, and plus, you know, all these, these supposed people, you know, they tell us things we already knew. You know, we were compulsive eaters. We were idiots. <laughs> you know, I swear, I've never owned a gun. And, and I'm really glad I haven't because if the 10,000th person told me when I was still in the food, oh, you should just stop eating so much, I, you know, I'd probably be in prison now, you know. But, you know, when I do talk to newcomers, I, I try to emphasize the concept of a disease. This was the biggest breakthrough in 1935 that Bill and Dr. Silkworth, before he wanted to put his name on it, said this is a disease. And it's so important to take that moral you're a bad person thing out of it. And, and I always talk about teasing the disease away from the person. You know, hate the disease, love the addict. And, and I just go into what it was with me. And I try, I try and you know, it's, it's really easy. If you're telling all about you, you're also telling him, but you're doing it in a nicer way. I talked about what the denial and how the disease of denial worked on me. And I'd use examples. I would talk about how the disease would always tell me the tomorrow mantra. It, it, tomorrow it'll be different. You know, and because what I do is I just visualize myself and them and, and tell them the kinds of things that happen to me, knowing that if this is a true compulsive eater, they're going to identify, you know. But most importantly, I love to talk about, in addition, you know, I can show some pictures. Or, you know, I was 100 pounds more. I've been keeping it off for a long time. I think the phrase keeping it off is a real important thing. I'll wrap it up. If I want to tell them how I'm happy. You know, like it was said in pages 132, 133, we're happy, joyous, free. We are not a junk glum lot. We no longer, you know, do, you know, manufacture misery. And, uh, you know, all we can do is plant the seed. And with that, I pass. Thank you, John Kay. We have time for one more share. Who'd like to share? This would be Paula D. May I share? Sure, Paula D. Thank you. Please go ahead. And Thank you. But wonderful paragraphs and so instructive and helpful. And it's so strange because you read where you've been. But sometimes when I look at this, I say, I was there. And it says so beautifully. I love what Henry Ford says in our big book. also love the Ford product, by the way. But anyway, go back to, and what did he say? He said, make use of it. Make use of your experience. And, you know, when you read this, call on him while he's still jittery. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's not kind of the person I want to call on. But I was there. He may be more receptive when depressed. Honey, this is when the lifeline comes in. This is when you throw that lifeline out, and they have the opportunity to grasp it. It says here, and I love this, say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. If he's in a serious mood, now look at what we're doing here. We're listening to the end. I have had a great lesson in this. Someone was trying to say something to me, and I had to interrupt. It wasn't what they were trying to say at all, and I missed it. So this here part is so important. Listen, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. If he's in a serious mood, dwell on his troubles. Look, it has caused you. And I love this. Well, being careful. Oh, there's a sign here. It's a big one. It's like a big stop sign. Not to moralize. You wouldn't think we would do that, would you? Oh, ego takes you to many, many high places, by the way. Or lecture. But I love this here. Here's the turning point. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Get him to tell some of his. And I'll tell you, if you look, they are there. I always go to Dr. Bob and the four things that he says. And what does he always say? It's a pleasure. If you know you're with someone, you can lighten up. You can lighten up. Thus, you can. they can lighten up. And what was just said on what it is, and it isn't you. It isn't who you are. It is only part of you. This book says so much. 
And I love, love the reading, and I love what is being said here. And I want to say on 157, said one of the visitors, we're giving you a treatment for alcoholism. Well, we know who they were. Hopelessness was written large on the man's face as he replied, oh, but that's no use. Nothing would fix me. I'm a goner. Did you ever say that? Did you ever think that? Did you ever live that? The last three times I got drunk on the way home from here. I'm afraid to go out the door. I can't understand it. And then what did the friends do? They told them about their drinking experiences. And over and over he would say, that's me. That's me. I drink like that. And what that is is a beginning and an end to my time. I am very grateful, Paul. With that, I do pass. Thank you again. Bye-bye. Thank you, Paula D. Thank you, everyone. Such great shares today. We'll now transition the meeting by reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer, welcoming newcomers, and getting numbers from available sponsors. Will Jody E.Q., please read A Vision for You. Yes, I will. Thank you, Elaine. Jody E.Q., gratefully recovered. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. You will intuitively... Sorry, somebody's calling me. (laughs) Trying to get back to the reading now. Okay. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you 